This morning we are called into the presence of God, and we are invited to come with joy, with thanksgiving, with music, and with song, remembering that we worship the God who created this world, who spoke through the prophets from generation to generation, who led his people from captivity to freedom, who healed the sick, fed the hungry, and was faithful even when faced with rejection. It is the same God who wants all people to be drawn to his love and to his grace, to know his forgiveness, to know the joy of his salvation. May we put aside all the concerns and the tasks of the week ahead and just join together this morning in worship and in praise. Let's pray together, shall we? God, we invite you into this place today and into our hearts and minds. We know that you love us, and in worship you come to us and you begin to cleanse us and change us and transform us into the people that we were meant to be. We don't come looking for what's in it for me, but to encounter a merciful and loving and forgiving God and to be changed. So meet us here in a powerful way today, we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Today we're going to be starting a new teaching series. It's called Paradise Lost, Paradise Restored. And this series is going to give focus to this, these last couple of weeks of Lent and then to Easter and the couple of weeks right after Easter that are part of our stewardship emphasis uh, during this time of the year in spring. And uh, this series seems to uh, form around a, an, an image that is very prominent in Scripture and that is of gardens. Um, not a vegetable kind of garden, but today we're going to be talking about the kind of, that, of garden that God created for Adam and Eve to live in. It was the Garden of Eden. It was paradise. And then each of the following weeks, uh, you'll see this metaphor take shape in a different way. Uh, and I hope that you'll be here for this series and uh, be thinking of who you can invite. You know, next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and then Easter, this is a great time of the year to invite someone to come and attend with you. So I hope that you're uh, thinking and praying about somebody that you can invite. Pray with me, and then uh, uh, we'll move further into today's worship service. God of wonder, we come into your presence this day seeking your affirmation and blessing. We are fully convinced that you call us to live in covenant with you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we're also convinced that we bear your image and you have given us minds to discern your purpose for our lives. You've given us hearts to reveal your love and a will to choose to live for you each day. Sometimes we are amazed at the grace with which you surround us and how much you love us even when we don't deserve it. So teach us today how to walk in step with you, denying ourselves and taking up your cross in order to follow wherever you lead us. God, accept our worship and our praise which we offer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Middle East today is a place of extreme temperature variations. With many places experiencing very hot and dry summers, but there are also areas that have cold winters and snow. And although you might not think of the Middle East as a garden destination, there are many fine and interesting gardens in the whole area. But scholars seem to think that the climate of Israel in Jesus' time may not have been quite as warm and dry as it is today. Prior to 1000 BC, 
Uh, land use studies throughout the Mediterranean world have shown the presence of crops and forests and numerous gardens. But gardens were often the luxury of the rich and the powerful because they were better able to create them and maintain them. Kings were some of the only people who had gardens of lush vegetation and orchards that produced fruit year-round. And it was only kings who could create vast water systems to keep their gardens during those dry seasons and bring all kinds of animals to make the garden not only thrive, but a spectacular place to visit. And one of the greatest honors any person could receive during their lifetime would be an invitation to walk in the king's garden. It was truly an invitation to paradise. So our story of paradise lost begins at creation. At cre and creation begins with the king of the universe creating a garden. Hear the opening words of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants, the trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that's what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals and livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the, in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You know, it amazes me that the only place in our solar system, as we know it, where a garden could be created was right here on the third planet from the sun. And so on each day of creation, God spoke and an element was created, whether it was light or water or land or vegetation or animals, they all filled the garden and then on the sixth day, God created human beings in God's image to live and tend the garden of God. So life for us began in a garden where God wanted to give us everything. He wanted to walk with us through the garden, through life. But this paradise was lost when Adam and Eve listened to the voice of the serpent and followed their own will instead of listening and following the will of God. And while they didn't sit down and pray these words, their message to God was, not your will, but my will be done. They cared more about their own will than they cared about being faithful to God, and so they turned away from God, and paradise was lost. The goodness and the beauty and the harmony of creation was broken. 
Now we know that the story of Adam and Eve isn't just the story of two people who live long ago. It is our story. And while we may not actually sit down and pray, not your will, but my will be done, this is often how we operate. It's how we respond to God. Even when we want to be faithful and work for the kingdom of God, we often look to our own will and decide to do things our own way. We fail and we miss the mark and we know that, it's, that on our own we cannot recreate the garden. What we can't do, however, Jesus can. It was in another garden that Jesus began the work of redemption and recreation. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus suffered and he died and he rose again uh, or after the Garden of Gethsemane so that we could be forgiven and restored in a relationship with God. That means, that means being able to, be, to return once again to walk with God and have fellowship with him just as we, we were created to do. Now this work of Jesus began on the night that he was betrayed and arrested. In this week that's leading up to Holy Week, this is an important story for us to remember. John chapter 18, verse 1 tells us, After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples, and he entered a grove of olive trees. Matthew 26, 36 continues the story. Then Jesus went with them to the grove, to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther, bowed with his uh, face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. And yet I want what uh, your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. And then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up! Let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Gethsemane was a garden. Not the way we think of a garden with fields of flowers or rows of produce, but more of an orchard or grove of uh, trees. The word Gethsemane means oil press. So what would they have been pressing to make oil with was olives, and so they would have put the olive press among the trees so that they didn't have to transport the olives. And today, across the Kidron Valley from the city of Jerusalem, there is a grove of olive trees that has been there for more than 900 years. And what's interesting is that testing on those trees has shown that they all come from the same parent tree. 
which means that there is some kind of deliberate attempt to keep this garden going with some very specific and special trees as its source. Now what many believe is that this was the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the place where Jesus prayed and where he suffered and when, where the decision was made to redeem all of humanity and restore the Garden of God. So let's look at the work of Jesus in this garden. Jesus and his disciples had just finished the Passover meal. Jesus knew that Judas had betrayed him and that his arrest and trial and crucifixion were all coming. Jesus took his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where they would often go to pray, and that was Gethsemane. And from the upper room, Jesus and his disciples would have traveled over some stone steps to skirt around the walls of Jerusalem and make their way across the valley. And when they arrived in the garden, Jesus invited Peter and John and James to go with him a little further to pray. And it was then that Jesus threw himself on the ground in total anguish. The words we read here in the story don't do justice to what Jesus was experiencing. It says he was sorrowful and he was troubled, but those words could be translated tormented, agitated, despondent. See, the Gospel of Mark uses a word for deeply distressed that has also been translated as horror-struck. Jesus is in real pain. So much pain that the Gospel of Luke says that Jesus' sweat was like great drops of blood. Now the question we have to ask ourselves is why was Jesus in so much pain? Why was this cup, what was this cup that God was asking him to drink? I always thought that this scene was the human side of Jesus coming through and that distress, the distress pressing in on Jesus was due to the looming reality of the crucifixion. Crucifixion, we know, was one of the worst ways to be executed, and the pain was excruciating. Jesus knew this was coming, and so this distress simply was in a, a real aversion, uh, maybe to the pain of the cross. I've always thought that this was the case because it, it's how most of us probably would feel. We had, if, if, if we had to make the choice be, between dying a cruel, violent, and painful death or walking away, most of us would probably just walk away. And Jesus could have done that. He could have just walked away. Actually, Jesus ha uh, had three choices here, and they all uh, can be seen when we look at the garden. Just over the hill from Gethsemane was the villages of Bethpage and Bethany, where Jesus knew people, and he could have fled there during the night and from there escaped into the wilderness. That was one option. Jesus didn't need to follow the road that led to the cross. He had a choice. The other choice Jesus could have made was go into Jerusalem with all the power of God behind him, knowing what was ahead of him. And when you look over to the city of Jerusalem from the Garden of Gethsemane today, what you see would see is one of the walls of Jerusalem and an entrance known as the Golden Gate. And the prophet said that when the Messiah came, he would enter the city through this gate. And it was there that the glory of God would be seen. So Jesus didn't have to run away. And he didn't have to enter the city as a prisoner. He could have just marched right into Jerusalem through this gate, bringing with him all the power and glory of God. Jesus 
had a choice to make. He could follow his own will, and just like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, or he could follow the will of God. Jesus could flee to safety and live to fight another day. He could follow what might have been a very real temptation and human desire to force his hand and enter the city with power and glory, or he could follow the will of God, which Jesus meant, uh, knew meant dying on a cross. This is the choice that Jesus faced. And as we can see when we read the story of his time in the Garden of Gethsemane, it brought great anguish, but not for the reason we might think. The bitter cup and the pain Jesus was looking at was not physical. It didn't come from thinking about the physical pain of the cross. It was spiritual, and it came from thinking about drinking from the cup of God's wrath. The cup of God's wrath is a way of talking about God's divine judgment on sin. In Job chapter 21 in the Old Testament, it says, Let them see their destruction with their own eyes. Let them drink deeply of the anger of the Almighty. Psalm 75, 8, For the Lord holds a cup in his hand that is full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours out the wine in judgment, and all the wicked must drink it, draining it to the dregs. What God is asking Jesus to do here is to take upon himself the sin of the world, knowing that when he does that, he will be alienated from God himself. The divine relationship between father and son will be severed for a moment, and the mere thought of this alienation is what causes Jesus the most pain. In his book, Basic Christianity, John Stott describes that, that moment of separation like this. He says, Jesus was bearing our sins, and God, who is of pure eyes, pure that, uh, too, too pure to behold evil, cannot look on wrong, turned his face away. Our sins came between the Father and the Son. The Lord Jesus, who was eternally with the Father, who enjoyed unbroken communion with him throughout his life on earth, was momentarily abandoned. He tasted the torment of a soul that is estranged from God. This is the cup that Jesus was being asked to drink, and not for his sake, but for our sake and the sake of the world. Now the punishment that Adam and Eve brought into the world through their sin, Jesus was going to pay for once and for all. The separation that came when Adam and Eve were driven out of paradise, out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin, was now going to be reconciled by Jesus, who was in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying and choosing to be faithful. And while Adam and Eve said, not your will, but my will be done, and paradise was lost, Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done, and paradise began to be restored. Redemption was coming. Reconciliation was coming. A new relationship with God was coming. So what was lost in the garden by Adam and Eve, choosing their will over God's will, was restored by Jesus, who chose God's will over his will. 
And because Jesus makes this choice in the Garden of Gethsemane, the door is open for us to live in the kingdom of God, the King's Garden. Not just in the future when we die, but today and tomorrow. Because of Jesus, this prayer in the Garden uh, can now be our prayer, and every time we pray for and follow God's will, a little part of paradise is restored. A part of God's kingdom comes to earth. A part of the promised land is seen. This can be our prayer, but the choice is ours. Every day the choice is ours. Every day we have the choice to either follow God's will or our will. And in relationships we can choose our will or God's will. At our jobs we can choose our will or God's will. In school we can choose our will or God's will. In our finances, we can choose. In our entertainment, we can choose. How we interact with others on social media, how we spend our time, it's all a choice, our will or God's. There really are only two prayers we are given each day, and it's up to us which one we'll pray. Not your will, but my will be done, or not my will, but yours be done. Which one will we choose? If we choose God's will, how can we be certain what God's will is? Jesus knew God, God's will fully because he was God, but how can we know God's will? Well, it takes a lot of intentional focus to know God's will and to be confident in what God is asking of us. But we can, and there are some things we can do to make sure we're hearing and following God's will. First of all, the Word of God gives us a lot of direction an insight into the will of God. It's here that we find that God's will uh, involves love and mercy and justice. And it's here that we find God's will involves care for our family and our friends and our neighbors. And God's will, God's word helps us to know God's will, which means if we're going to seriously pray, not my will, but yours be done, we need to be engaged in the word of God regularly. Worship also helps us to hear and experience God's will because it's here that uh, we are often more open to the leading of God's Spirit. When we gather and when we have our hearts and minds fixed together on Jesus, it's often easier to understand God's will and then find the strength from others to follow that will. And even Jesus took his disciples with him to pray in hopes that they would give him strength. So gathering with others in worship is important. The example of Jesus uh, also shows us the will of God. We learn God's will in, re in relationships when we look at how Jesus treated others around him. We learn God's will in serving others by looking at how Jesus served. We learn God's will in dealing with the power and authorities of this world by looking at how Jesus dealt with power and authority of his day. The choices Jesus made give us direction on the choices that we can make. We, we can also understand God's will by paying attention to what's going on around us. Who do we find always crossing our path? Is that someone God is asking us to help or to serve or to talk to? What do we find ourselves doing over and over again? Is that what God has made us for? 
Is, is that part of our passion and God's will for our lives? What is it that we can't stop thinking about and dreaming about? What's the vision of God's kingdom that we simply can't let go of? That just might be God's will for us. Paying attention to all that's going on around us and in us helps us to pray with more boldness, not my will but yours be done. What we learn from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is that God's will for us is not always comfortable. It's not always convenient. When Jesus, what Jesus faced was not going to be comfortably, uh, comfortable at all. Physically, it was going to be agony. Emotionally, Jesus was going to be rejected and abandoned by people. Uh, spiritually, he was going to face darkness and isolation, and this was not at all comfortable. See, God's will for our life is not always comfortable. It's often hard and sometimes painful, which means we need to be prepared for that when we pray. God's will is, not, is also not always convenient. It wasn't convenient for Jesus to move forward. It might have been more convenient to walk away, to find another time and place to do what God was asking him to do. And many times God calls us when it's not convenient and we have to make a sacrifice to follow his will and not our own. So looking at all of this in our life, it seems sometimes impossible. Seems like there is simply no way for us to pray, God, not my will, but yours be done. And then to follow God's will. But you know what? We can do it. We can't find victory and we, uh, we can find victory and we can walk in faith because of what Jesus did in this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. We are not destined to follow Adam and Eve out of the Garden of God, out of paradise, because we have been redeemed by the choice that Jesus made that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus chose God's will, and in that choice, the process of redemption began. More was to come, but the restoration of the king's garden began with Jesus' prayer and Jesus' choices. So may that be our prayer, and may this be our choice, so that we also can experience the fullness of life that God intended for us. Amen.